message this morning. My name is Matt. I'm one of the pastors here at Redeemer. And uh, what I'm going to do is we're, we're out of the book of Revelation. We're heading towards what's called Holy Week in the Christian tr- tradition. Uh, we celebrate the crucifixion on Good Friday and then Easter on uh, Sunday in a couple of weeks. And so what I thought I'd do as, as we're uh, coming out of the book of Revelation is talk about what it's like to head towards the cross in anticipation of the resurrection. And uh, this is going to be from Matthew, uh, mostly Matthew 10. And because it's such a long passage, I think I'm just going to walk through the passage as I preach. Um, so let's pray and, and uh, then we'll start in. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for another day. We thank you for the sun. We thank you for a spring coming. Um, we anticipate um, the resurrection, Lord, even in the midst of uh, COVID and, and all the hardships that our uh, community has endured, along with uh, the town of Lincoln and globally. Um, we entrust ourselves to you right now because we know that you're good. And there are many, many things in in our lives and in our communities that would call that into question, Uh, your goodness, your sovereignty. And so I ask, Lord, that you would beat those lies back through this text by your Holy Spirit this morning. Um, As we look about as we look at the text about what it means to follow you and the cost of following you um, and how worth it it is, because you are yourself the prize, the reward. And so would you come now by the Spirit uh, and give us yourself in Christ's name. Amen. Um, Maybe more than any time in my experience in ministry, and I've been in ministry, I don't know, 12, 13 years, people are reevaluating what it means to to follow Jesus more than ever right now. Uh, Maybe you are in that camp. Uh, Maybe you know many people in that camp. And I remember... In seminary, uh, I had a professor named Dr. Dan McCartney, and he looked like Gandalf. He had this really big, massive beard. And he, the most memorable lecture I ever had was was by him, and it was on this text that we're going to read today, uh, Matthew 10, on the cost of uh, discipleship, the cost of following Jesus. And the reason why it was so memorable is because he ended it like 30 minutes early and just soberly prayed for everybody in the class because he knew that some of the things that applied to the 12 disciples here were going to apply to us as we went out into the world with the gospel, men and women in his classroom. And uh, I, I want us all as a community to, to reevaluate what it means to be a disciple of Jesus, an apprentice of Jesus, as one author puts it. And uh, just right up front, you know, one of the great things about Jesus is that he doesn't do a good job at like uh, persuading you about the, the good stuff up front. You could think of this passage as like the worst marketing ever. Um, and rabbis back then, much like today, we listen to people that we kind of agree with or want to, to listen to. Um, that's how you did it back in the day with rabbis. You would follow along rabbis and listen to the rabbis that you agreed with. But Jesus is a different uh, rabbi in that he goes to people and he says, hey, you listen to me and you follow me. Um, and that is what we're going to look at today. Uh, and right off the bat, Jesus says, if you follow me, 
you need to be prepared to leave the things that you love most and you need to be prepared to face death. It's not a good sales pitch. Um, In every good adventure, you know, if you think about The Hobbit, uh, Bilbo, that Hobbit, was not looking for adventure, but it came and found him in the person of Gandalf. He would have preferred to have been left in his Hobbit hole that was warm, filled with tobacco and food and safety, but that's not how the story goes, and it wouldn't be a good story if it stayed in the Hobbit hole. And if you are investigating Christianity right now, you must understand that following Jesus is an adventure that you did not sign up for. The longer you go, you realize that, that Jesus comes and interrupts your life, and he says, come with me, follow me. I want you to mimic me. Um, And he says that there's a, a lot of work to do, and the work is to find treasure, and the treasure in God's kingdom is people. Look at the first uh, section of our passage. Uh, I, I'm going to start in chapter 9, verses 35 through 37, and then kind of work our way through chapter 10. If you have a device or a Bible, I'd, I'd highly encourage you to, to get that out. Um, this is what uh, Matthew 9, 35 through 37 says. And Jesus went throughout the cities and the villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them, Because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Now, what does this adventure look like? It starts with Jesus's call in your life. And most importantly, it starts with when you see people, you begin to feel compassion. That word compassion means that when you look at other people, you have deep seated concern and in some sense sadness because you see an image of God that is helpless to find joy before the face of God as a true shepherd cares for his sheep, they think, and we often think in our own flesh, that God is the biggest killjoy to ever exist. And it begins to make you unbearably sad. That's what it means to have compassion, that when sin and injustice and sickness and pain in your own life and in the life of the world begins to make you unbearably sad, uh, you, you better watch out because you might be a follower of Jesus. That could be, even even in this moment, that could be, if you're mad about something in the world, that could be the Holy Spirit saying, follow him. Trust him. He he has a reason why why you feel compassion for things that have gone wrong in this world. Um, And when that happens, that's when the adventure begins. The harvest begins, as our language puts it. And we're going to talk about that adventure uh, in four ways. The sending, the danger, the fear, and the reward. Look at your text, verses 5 through 15. So Jesus names the 12, and he says, y'all, follow me. These 12 
Jesus sent out instructing them to go nowhere among the Gentiles and enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep, the house of Israel, and proclaim as you go, saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons. You receive without pain, give without pay. Acquire no gold or silver or copper for your belts, no bag for your journey, or two tunics or sandals or a staff, for the laborer deserves his food. And whatever town or village you enter, find out who's worthy in it and stay there until you depart. And as you enter the house, greet it. And if the house is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it's not worthy, let your peace return to you. And if anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet. When you leave that house or town, truly I say to you, it'll be more bearable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah for that town. So initially, these disciples are supposed to go to only Jewish people. And they are to proclaim this thing called the gospel of the kingdom of God. They're to heal the sick, raise the dead, and cleanse lepers. Now, uh, the... The way that um, people thought about getting news back then, so they didn't have newspapers in the first century. And so whenever there became a new king or a Caesar or a, a new king was born or a new queen was born, they would send out these little runners to each town. And these runners would herald the, the good news like, hey, a new Caesar is in office. Um, there's a big change in town. And so that's how they got news out. That's what it meant to herald a a gospel. Um, And that's what an evangelist was in the first century. And that's what these disciples are supposed to do. Jesus is saying, hey, I'm the new king. This is what my kingdom's about. It's having compassion on people, healing people, uh, correcting injustice, healing affliction. And I want you to tell everybody who the new king is. And it's me. And when you do this, I don't want you to prepare or plan. Uh, I don't want you to have two tunics. I don't want you to have a lot of money. But I want you to trust on a daily basis that you're going to be taken care of. And this is what the goal of the disciple. This is what it meant to be sent. Now, a few things here. Uh, Remember, these are the disciples. People whom Jesus called to follow him. And this is what he said. This is this is what your job is to do. Uh, Miracles. Raise the dead. Um, Cleanse lepers. And you got to think, you know, Simon the Zealot. Think, you know, crazy, uh, crazy guy in Missouri. And then Matthew, the tax collector, think, uh, you know, the, the one who sold out. Uh, you got you got these very different people all together, all together in one space. And Jesus says, yeah, I I think the, this is who I want to, to spread my kingdom. People who dramatically disagree. And I want them to do things that they've never done before. What would they be thinking? The disciples, you know, we often take passages like this and like immediately apply it to us. But think about the disciples here. Remember Bilbo? Uh, I'm sorry I'm using The Hobbit so much this morning, but, you know. He was supposed to be the one that actually stole the treasure back for the dwarves. It was the main task of the job. He never had any experience with stealing or adventures, and yet 
They looked to him to accomplish the main task of the adventure precisely because he didn't know what he was doing and the humility that came with that. Uh, That's what's going on with the disciples here. This is who Jesus calls. People who don't know what they're doing. Uh, St. Augustine said there are really only three things about the Christian life. Uh, One is humility. Two is humility. And the third is, uh, well, it's humility. And humility is the thing that's going to help you face the challenges of following Jesus. The only thing that Jesus requires of you right now is that you put one step in front of the other and that you trust that he's good. It requires humility to do that. Because there will be danger on the trail. That's what Pat, uh, the next uh, section is talking about in 16 through 25. Look there at your text. Behold, I'm sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Beware of men, for they will deliver you over to courts and flog you in their synagogues. And you'll be dragged before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. And when they deliver you over, don't be anxious how you are to speak or what you are to say, for what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. For it's not you who speak, the spirit of your father speaking through you. Brother will deliver over brother, over to death, and father his child, and children will rise against parents and have them put to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. And when they persecute you in one town, flee to the next. For truly, I say to you, you will not have gone through all the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It's enough for the disciple to be like his teacher and the servant like his master. If they call the master of the house Beelzebul, how much more will they malign those of his household? There is so much wisdom in that section of Scripture. Um, but just look at the first few verses. Jesus says, and if you think about this image, I'm sending, he's talking to the disciples, I'm sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. If you guys read the Bible every day, you will be less surprised at what you experience in your life. You won't be caught off guard as much. Jesus says, I'm sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Think about that image. And so you must be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. You have, what he's saying is that you have to be street smart, but with a clean conscience. You have to be up close and personal with wickedness, but you must never ever participate in it. Think about that. The word wise can be translated as shrewd. Uh, and why you need to have shrewdness is because you will be hated if you follow Jesus and sometimes persecuted. Now we take that and run with it and we get all sorts of other ideologies and we think that that's persecution. That's not what Jesus is talking about. Jesus is saying, when you follow me, when you mimic me in this world, not only will you be hated, but your own flesh will hate what you're doing. 
It'll war against it. Everything will fight against it. When my kingdom comes in a person's life or in a city, evil hates it. And you must be prepared for it. And the simple logic that Jesus uses in verse 25 and 24, 24 and 25 is that, look, if I'm your leader and people hated me and they called me demonic, um, they're going to do the same to anybody that follows me. Please know that. Please know how terribly difficult this is. Uh, Almost all of the New Testament letters are about in 2 Corinthians Uh, Paul is making this argument because he's arguing with these super apostles. And he's like, look, I know that they're saying that my beatings and how bad I am at speaking is proof that like I'm not legit. But if you look at the marks on my back where I was beaten, um, Jesus says that that's proof that the gospel is real. That's proof that I'm actually his disciple. And what that means, y'all, is that the danger that you experience when you follow Jesus, the hardship that you've experienced, is the very proof that you're following Jesus. Not when you have some, again, not when you have some other weird ideology that you're buying into. I'm talking about Jesus and what he calls you to do. And what he calls you to do is to die to yourself. And that's dangerous. If you're a follower of Jesus, you will be sent. You will be sent into danger and you're going to have to have the right kind of fear. Uh, Verses 26 through, through 29. So have no fear of them for nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be made known. What I tell you in the dark, say in the light. And what you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops. And do not fear those who can kill the body, but can't kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both body and soul in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not. Therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I also will acknowledge before my father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will deny before my Father who is in heaven. Don't think I've come to bring peace to the earth. I've not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother. And this one makes a little bit more sense. A daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. At the very least, y'all, that means that when you have hardship in your family, that might be pushing you towards Jesus. It might be tearing your love away from that which won't last. So that you can go to him who will. It's one thing to say that we ought not to fear what people think about us. I don't think I've ever met someone who can actually do that. You were made to have an outside voice of affirmation for people to tell you, you are doing a wonderful job. I approve of you. 
Every one of us cares a lot about how people perceive us. And God says, what you need to care about is the fact that I am the dominant force of the whole world and your life. And if you do not have my approval, you will ultimately have nothing. The things that you think you have will go away forever. The problem uh, when you care too much about what other people think about you is that you, you go crazy. Because you can't control what people think about you. And what people think about you is none of your business. And even if they thought the worst about you and they did the worst to you, what God is saying is that that person could destroy your body, could destroy your life. But there's only one who can destroy your soul. Think about it. Um, you're on an adventure. I'll tell you a parable. Uh, and you, on this journey, you, you got to go down this road. You can't get off the road because this is where the journey leads. And on this path, there are non-poisonous snakes everywhere. And you hate snakes. You've always hated snakes. And at, at every turn, it's like, oh, ah, these, these snakes, and I, I, need to, I need to get away from them. And, and you're tempted to get off the trail, but everyone who's ever gotten off the trail has gotten bitten by these poisonous spiders that you can barely see. You need to know that God is, our psalm said it when we, we had a call to worship, God is always testing you, always, in your life, in Scripture. And what he's wanting to see, his, eye, his eyelids test the children of man. What he wants to see is if you're going to believe that he's good. And he puts snakes on your trail to test it. He wants you to see, okay, in the face of something that I don't want to experience, do, is there something that supersedes that for me? That God cares about me? That God would even care about the insignificant details of my life that I don't even know, like the number of hair, hairs on my head. Why, you ever thought about, like, why would that be in a section about fear? It's because that's what you need to, to know. When, when you think that God is indifferent towards the details of your life and you're going through something hard, you need to know that God, he knows you better than you know yourself. I, I had a friend who, when I was living in a different town, um, he was going through a divorce and he was talking to me about that decision to get a divorce. And he didn't have any biblical grounds for this divorce and there was no adultery but he was miserable. He was miserable. And he asked me a very insightful question. He said, doesn't God care about my happiness, Matt? Doesn't God want me to have peace? And Jesus is saying, more than you'll ever know. Everything hard in your life is like a non-poisonous snake. 
compared to the ultimate reality of facing the one who can destroy your soul. Satan can't even destroy your soul. And the point is, God's obsessed with you. He knows every molecule of hair on your head. The challenge of the Christian life is to find God's kindness in the snakes on the trail. And I got to be honest, uh, I don't have any right because I haven't experienced your life to speak that into some of what you've gone through. But you know, some of your snakes, I don't, I, I don't even want to go near. Because I'm like, I, only God can speak. To see that the little fears actually keep us away from the truly horrifying fear of separation from God. So, uh, who doesn't struggle with, with that? I mean, <laughs> um, Jesus. Jesus never walked around this world afraid. Uh, what is your only comfort in life and in death that I, with body and soul, belong to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ? And everything in my life is subservient to my salvation. And everything in my life, if I ultimately belong to him, will make me ready to follow him with joy as if it's a joyful adventure in the midst of the greatest difficulty. Um, The reward, the prize, the treasure is found in verses 40 through 42. Whoever received this, Jesus talking, whoever receives you receives me and whoever receives me receives him who sent me. The one who receives a prophet because he is a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. And the one who receives a righteous person because he is a righteous person will receive a righteous person's reward. And whoever gives one of these little ones even a cup of cold water because he is a disciple, truly I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. Um, Have you ever seen the movie Life is Beautiful? Life is Beautiful is a wonderful film, uh, and it's about this this dad and the son who are locked away in this concentration camp. And in order for uh, the dad to teach his son how to survive such horrible circumstances, he tells his son, we're going to play a game. And the, the, the goal of the game is to be as quiet as possible, to not ask for any food at all, and to be very, very secretive. Um, And all the while, his dad was hiding his son away and he was being horribly abused by the Nazis. And at the end of it, this child runs out of the concentration camp into his mom's arms. I'm totally ruining the film for you. But like he runs into his mom's arms and he's like, I won. I won. All the while, his dad had been sacrificing for him the whole time and ultimately died. But the little kid is like, "I, I, I, I beat life. You know, I won the game. Um, And that's what Jesus does for you. Jesus is not asking you to do any in this moment. He's not asking you to do anything that he hasn't already done. And he's asking you to follow him on this dangerous and fearful path. Yes, but really it's like a game compared to what he went through. And if we receive him, this is the beauty. If we receive him. Uh, What it will feel like at times is that you're winning at life in the most difficult of circumstances and it won't make sense. It's like the peace that passes understanding. 
Sometimes it won't even make sense to you and you're experiencing it. You're like, oh man, I'm still believing. Uh, Here's what this passage is saying. Just like what Pastor Steve said last week, keep going. Keep coming back to Jesus and receiving him just like you did the beginning. If you don't follow Jesus, you're going to lose the only life that you thought you had. And this is where it all comes back down for me. Materialism is the only thing worth living if you don't have Jesus, in my opinion. And that will only last maybe 50 years if you're 30. And then it's done. Nothing. You're a speck in the middle of nowhere. But if the whole world revolves around a, a God that, that like loves you, then everything in your life is worth it. Which means, and I, and I know this is offensive, um, the only way to live this life is to follow Jesus. He's the true human. He's in some sense the only human that ever lived. And he calls you to come and die and uh, gain the prize, which is his presence. To know that he loves you. And somehow uh, that love, the Psalms say, that steadfast love is better than your life. It's better than your actual life. Um, In the Old Testament, God calls Israel his little darlings, his prized possessions. And if God cares that much about Israel, how much more do you think he cares about Jesus? And if we receive Jesus, what we're receiving is that same love that God gave him. That's what it's talking about, that all that love that was directed at Jesus gets directed at you at the cross. And, and you gotta, you got to take it. That's what heaven's about. And so the, the test question uh, is, do you actually want God? Or do you just want your life the way that you would like to have it without him? Following Jesus will not be easy. It'll be dangerous. It'll be scary. It'll be confusing most of the time. The payoff is this. You, you actually have a reason to live your life. And that reason to live your life is to give it up for the sake of others. Not to feel better about yourself. Not to earn God's love. But to participate in the sanity of what it means to be a human being in a fallen world. Which is that my life was meant to be poured out for you. And when I do that, I feel alive. I feel eternal. And the reason why is because that's how Jesus taught me to live. This is the strength by which I can do that. That's where we are headed as we come into Palm Sunday, as we go to the crucifixion in anticipation of the resurrection. Um, That's the cost of discipleship. Let's pray and continue to worship. Father, we thank you that you gave uh, such specific instructions to your disciples, these 12 people who differed, uh, who were always talking about who was the best. Um, And yet you used them, Lord, as the foundation of the church on which we still stand today. And so, uh, Father, help us to glean from uh, passages like this.